Hey everybody, it is Tom Doton here with the final installment of our bonus episodes uh, that came from the event that we held in Los Angeles last month, co-sponsored by Airtable. Uh, if you recall from previous episodes, we were talking to various executives about the future of digital storytelling. So uh, we heard from Jason Blum in one episode, we heard from Jared Groost from Snap in another episode, and here in this final installment, we have a trio of executives, Katie Goldsmith from Universal Pictures, Nick Bell from Attention Capital, and Charles Porch from Instagram to talk about the next stage of growth for direct-to-consumer brands, uh, the future which is less about chasing scale and more about resonating with smaller, more passionate audiences. So this is about the future of niche media and, and why even the biggest brands need to appeal to inspired, strongly passionate groups of niche uh, interests. So that is the episode you're about to hear. And before I get to that, I want to quickly plug our sponsor Airtable for the event. Uh, so if you go to Airtable.com slash the information, you can claim $200 in free credit to use towards towards Airtable, which is a software that we use at the information, uh, as do many other companies uh, to communicate and create projects. We use it, as I mentioned in previous episodes, for uh, our future list. So interesting um, project that we've been putting together for a couple of years, and Airtable has been kind of our our tech provider for uh, aggregating that information. Uh, Airtable.com slash the information, $200 in free credits. All right, let's get to the audio. This panel is to kind of dig a little bit into this theme that has sort of been throughout the talks around consumer first, right? It seems to be the way media is going um, in a lot of dimensions, and yet people... If everyone's trying to do that, what does it mean? How do we stand out? And what does it mean for sort of the next generation of media businesses that are going to be built? So um, that broadly is is the topic and um, that will take us into cocktails. Um, let me introduce the panel very quickly. Uh, Charles Porch, um, Global Head of Partnerships. Did I get that right? Yeah. For Instagram. Um, been there for how long? Six years. Six years. So uh, it's been a while. knows the place, shall I was we say. The, I was the guy that used to call celebrities up and ask them to join Instagram, and they'd say no, <laughs> but I wore them down. You and wore here we them are. down. Yes. One by one, every celebrity <laughs> that has signed up, Charles, uh, probably does have their cell phone number. Um, Katie Goldsmith, uh, VP at Universal, um, overseeing uh, the marketing around the film business in particular. So um, lots to talk about there. And Nick Bell, who now is the co-founder of Attention Capital, a uh, holding company that is um, backing and building and buying the next great media companies, just did a deal uh, for Tribeca Films. And and I have no talking points and no handler in the front row. Yes, like this. I know. Great. I can go rogue. This is, this is <laughs> fabulous. This is what I've, I've wanted to extract Nick out of um, his previous role um, where he was at Snap. And as we heard earlier, you know, built Discover among many other things over the years. So, um, Charles, I want to start with you. Sure. Um, you know, when I, I think, I think for a long time, when we think of Instagram and influencers, like we think of individuals, mm -hmm. um, and by and large, they're the ones who are at the top of the follower counts. But I mean, what are you seeing on the platform today in terms of media companies that are really able to, and I'll use that term broadly, mm -hmm. you know, small, big, that, that are doing interesting things that are breaking through what's standing out? 
Yeah, I mean, and, and you're right. Really, when I started Instagram, the thought was, well, I first of all, I forced myself into the company. I like cornered Kevin Systrom and I was like, I think we can move pop culture to Instagram and here are all the ideas and it's this simple product. And we really started with public figures to try to get them to, um, um, to build their own fan bases and actually become media companies on their own, and that's really where it started. And the thinking was, let's start with the public figures, the media companies will follow, um, which they have in a number of ways. So you'll see everything from really traditional media co companies to up-and-coming creators coming uh, onto the platform. So you know, you'll see everything from an ABC experimenting or E! News is really good on Instagram, but what I'm also really excited about is the uh, evolving meme culture and them as the future of media companies. I mean, think of an account like Comments by Celebs. I'm obsessed with these women. Um, if you haven't, um, if you don't follow Comments by Celebs, you should. I feel really, uh, excited because we had all these conversations about comment ranking back in the day. I was like, I know the Kardashians are getting, like Kim is getting a notification that Kylie commented, but she can't get there because she has a gajillion comments, so she never actually reads it. So I we did. I can totally relate. Yeah, so we did comment ranking, <laughs> and these women just started this business off of this, which is now a podcast, and they're going to tour, and mm. They're actually building the future of the media company, so I'm excited How to see that start money? to emerge. So oh, and and sure. is it on Instagram or are they leveraging their fame to not oh, Instagram? So it starts on Instagram. So branded content is the main source. And what's genius about it is they have, they work with brands to have them comment on something and make it really witty. And that's how the branded content shows up. So very much on brand for them. They also sell advertising in their podcast. I'm um, going to have Patreon mm -hmm. as well. And they're building from there. I mean, this is a business that's a year old mm -hmm. um, and they have millions of followers and it's growing really quickly. So I'm excited to see what that next generation looks like because they're starting from scratch and they're starting from where technology is today, mm -hmm. which gives them a lot of advantages. And what's your pitch to the big, I mean, is it, so traditionally, right, the tech has just been, we have the eyeballs, mm -hmm. you have to play. Now we're starting to see, and if you look at Facebook, you know, putting a little more money, a little more skin in the game. Um, you can also look at, I guess, Apple or Amazon as mm -hmm. extreme. I mean, where is Instagram on the paying for content sort of spectrum? Yeah, so, yeah, we're not doing it in a traditional way. Um, the place where we are spending a little bit of money, and let me tell you, it is very little amounts, um, is on IGTV. We are covering some production costs for creators that have an idea, want to get a show out there, um, and just need to be able to break even um, to get started. Um, and that's really simple things like editing, or maybe someone needs a set. Um, that's where we're starting. Um, we're working on building more traditional monetization into IGTV. So we just added the branded content tag, so you can do that. And then we're hoping to build ad share in 2020. So I'm working on that right now. So we'll see that business grow. Got it. Um, OK. Uh, Katie, uh, sorry, I'm kindly being offered a drink, but I'm going to wait. Um, talk a little bit about how sort of direct-to-consumer has affected your work in marketing films. Yeah, so I guess Jason spoke about some of the challenges facing the theatrical business today, and I work on our theatrical business. For us, it is all about opening weekend. My first day on the job, my boss said to me, you know, the closest analogy is politics. We are campaign managers, and opening weekend is our election night. That's what we work towards. Um, and you have this sort of interesting dichotomy happening in the industry where 
we talk a lot about kind of monoculture versus tribalism. And unless you are Disney, these sort of monoculture moments are very rare. Those are your, you know, big, everyone's doing it, Marvel movies, Lion King, etc. Um, most of them are kind of that tribalism. You can't be something for everyone, so you have to be the thing for a smaller group. And to your question about kind of that consumer relationship, how do you be the thing? Well, the super nerdy side of my job, which is most of my job these days, is data. And that data is owning that consumer relationship. And that was traditionally in theatrical, something that was never, ever talked about. And traditionally being five years ago, um, you know, we don't own that relationship. People go to AMC or Fandango or Cinemark. That's that touch point. But if we want to find everyone who is going to see Jason's next horror movie or Girls Trip or whatever those kind of good boys, I think was a rare success in an era when comedies, let alone R-rated comedies, let alone R-rated comedies starring 12-year-old boys, are not going to work. To make that own the weekend and be the biggest original comedy is, is a success. And I think that speaks to really diving deep into data and understanding where can we find the right people? Who is going to see this movie and where are they? And how do we kind of grab attention and choice where those people are? And so what, what has worked well for you in the past six months on that front? What's shifting? Because there are a lot of potential partners for that. Completely. I mean, I think doing a big deep dive into owning our own data and not Instagram and Snapchat have been amazing partners to us. But traditionally, you know, you buy their moviegoer segment or you buy their comedy lovers segment. And in an era when we have to be the thing for someone, that's not going to cut it because Warner Brothers and Disney and Sony are bid and Netflix and Amazon are bidding on those same people. We have to be a lot more nuanced and precise to not just find to take the good boys example, we need to find Seth Rogen fans who have seen these three movies in a theater. And let's use that as a seed audience and then model out people like them to achieve necessary scale. So it's it's grown a lot from an era when you can rely on, you know, buying an NBC primetime spot. Not only are people, you know, obviously those, those numbers are dwindling, but even if we were to do that, there's just massive waste and inefficiencies because you're reaching a lot of people who we know are never going to turn up. Mm -hmm. uh, can you get, I mean, from our own business, right, like the micro-targeting is amazing, but it's very hard to scale. Completely. Right. So how do you how do you do that? Yeah, that's where I can totally nerd out and talk about propensity scores. And so it's building models. If we have our um, working very closely with Fandango, I helped them um, in building their Fandango 360 product, which uses people who've purchased movie tickets, but then also scores them on a score of zero to one hundred, not just based on you know the movies that they've seen, the tickets they've purchased, but other behaviors, content consumption, search activity that we can marry with other proprietary data sets that we have to look at kind of who is our core, who is our gettables, and you sort of build these concentric circles out mm -hmm. so that you can spend efficiently because you want to reach your opportunity audiences. If you're someone like A24, that precise targeting could work really well, 
but if you're universal and you need to open movies to a really big number, you need to get creative in, in building that scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just quickly in terms of the mix, are you guys doing things with TikTok? We just did our first activation with TikTok. Um, it's interesting because I think they are they're new to the market, but we also know that that's where consumers are. And I think one of the tricks of marketing is not just about metrics and numbers, but it's about kind of gaining the heat and sort of putting your finger on the pulse. So I think it's still a little too early for us to tell how successful it was because they don't quite have the metrics that allow us to connect it to ultimate ticket purchase. Um, As a whole, I think partners like Instagram and Snapchat have actually gotten really smart about amping up their measurement solutions because they know that helps drive ad dollars. Um, But, you know, I think part of the job is continually, and part of what I love about it, is continually being aware of what's the next thing and is that somewhere that makes sense for us? And if so, let's figure out how to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, my question escaped Mm -hmm. me. I'll come back to it. So Nick, from your perspective, I mean, you've worked with wide range of media companies from the biggest brands in the world to the kind of influencers Charles talking about. Where do you think the greatest potential is for sort of the next gen and what personally are you interested in in building and partnering with? So I think, you know, with attention capital, it's all about quality over tonnage. And I think what's kind of interesting is I spent five years at News Corp and five years at Snap trying to figure out how to get human attention. I think the problem that we see is platforms are all doing the same thing. They're optimizing for margin, right? So you know, the conversations that I've had over the last few years where it's like, okay, let's try and create a piece of content for a penny, generate two pennies, 100% margin business, do it a trillion times. That sounds great, right? But I think the reality is, is the content that you get when you start to drive to the bottom like that is pretty shitty. Mm -hmm. And I think what else happens is the metrics and the, the conditioning that the big players in the marketplace start to kind of drive takes you to a pretty strange place. And let me just unpack that a little bit. I think the question that I would get asked by product managers and you know, time and time again is like, okay, what is the metric we want to drive up to the right? Because product managers are great at taking a number and creating a chart that goes up to the right. And you know, is it time spent? Is it, you know, and I'd say, no, I don't know. It's like, we need to think about the metric for quality. Mm-hmm. And I was never able to really figure that out, but it's the quest that I'm kind of going on now. What is, that, what is the number that you want to drive which is actually quality content? Because you know, they, say, they say in London, you're never more than six feet away from a rat. <laughs> but they also say on YouTube, you're never more than four clicks away from some conspiracy video, right? It's like, that is where the internet takes you. When you're trying to drive a number up to the right, that is where the world takes you. It takes you to clickbaity, salacious, and, and, and you know, divisive content, which which is not a great place to be for yep. as a consumer or for the world as a whole. So, you know, what we're really trying to think about with attention is where do those opportunities lie where you can't measure it in the way that Facebook, Google, and any of the other large platforms mm-hmm. want to take you. And, and, and they've done a fantastic job of conditioning the market to think like that, whether it's on a, on a, like a content perspective or from an advertising perspective. But where do those opportunities lie? where 
it falls outside the realms of those measurements, and that's where we think value is. So, you know, I'll throw out a couple of examples. Out-of-home media, billboards. Mm. You cannot measure it. You, there's no last-click attribution for a billboard. But I think what you're seeing is D2C brands who have some of the smartest marketers in the world are seeing billboards as a great opportunity to get human attention at a low price, at a low cost, because it's harder to measure. Where else does human attention lie like that in the media world, in a consumer world? And those are the opportunities that we're trying to chase right now. So, you know, you, you mentioned earlier on, we, we acquired Tribeca Film Festival earlier this year with James Murdoch. Tribeca has 275,000 people every year go sit in a darkened room for a film that they probably haven't really heard about or don't really know much about before that, but they trust the power of the Tribeca brand. They trust the authority of that brand to curate an experience for them. And we think that's really, really powerful. But 275,000 people sounds like nothing. I mean, the Kardashians get, will get that view on a post in, in a matter of seconds. So, you know, human attention it is weighed up in very, very different ways. And I think that's where we see the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Well, that is a perfect seg into a question I was going to ask Charles about mm -hmm. getting rid of likes. Yeah. So um, why? How's it going? Yeah. What does it mean? So we're, we're actually testing it pretty extensively now. Does everyone, anyone in this room seeing it at the moment? We still have our likes. No, you still <laughs> have them. Okay. okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, really what we're trying to do is make Instagram the safest place for everybody. Is this me? I'm That's sorry. probably me. Oh, okay. Um, the safest place hair. possible, especially for young people. And, you know, one of the things a lot of young people feel is the pressure to be perfect. When you're 16, sometimes it's hard to put yourself out there, and you might value yourself based on the number of likes um, that you get on a post. Um, we'll hear from people that they'll take it down if it doesn't get as many likes as they want, and we want to relieve that pressure. So we're doing the testing uh, to see what the effects are on that. And what business effects do you not want to see, right? Like, so, because, I mean, that is data that's probably hugely valuable to of you. Of course. I mean, I think there could, I mean, we'll have to see what the tests show, but I think decreased engagement would suck. But I think we're still willing to take hits if it's what's good for the platform and what's good for the world at the end of the day. Um, but we don't have the results yet. Um, so stay tuned, and there's all sorts of different stakeholders, right? If you're a 16-year-old with 25 followers, it's very different than if you're a huge celebrity with tens of millions of followers, and we're looking or to a business, and, who, and so we're looking across the spectrum. Who's more important to the Instagram business? Oh, absolutely, the the people in the community. But that's always where we start. If Kim or Kylie or someone comes up to you, right, and they're like we want these features, what's the... I, totally, actually what I found, so spent a lot of time with a lot of partners talking about this, and I think a lot of people are all over the place on what they think about it, just because I think there's a bigger fear in what you haven't seen yet, and so it's a little bit of a wait and see approach, but I've actually had a lot of people react really positively to it. I think Kim said last week, she said publicly, that she it's a great idea, um, which that's not me being shady, I think this is me. Maybe making noise. Um, she thinks that it's a great idea. I think uh, Cardi B came out and said, I don't know, let's see what happens on this. Maybe you should focus on comments. So we have to do the testing. We have to see where it lands. We are getting feedback all the time um, from a lot of major accounts. Um, one of the uh, our comment protections, those actually came from feedback from huge celebrities that thought that 
comments were a little bit toxic, so we put a bunch of prote protections in there. We also get a ton of insights from the community. We build things that are right for them as well, um, and we'll see how this test plays out. But we always start with the community. We got to keep young people safe, and I think we got to reduce like this pressure to be perfect. Um, Katie, I remember my question, so I'm gonna circle back to it. So, I mean, when you're looking across the landscape, how much are you repurposing content for, like, is this, do you have different teams for different platforms? Is it, um, take us inside that process a bit, because it seems like a, a moving um, organism these in, days. In terms of marketing content? Yeah, and just, and like the strategy, I mean, do you have different, yeah. So, yeah, it's all sort of a moving target, and I'm sure, as, as you've seen in the, at least in the traditional studio space, there's a lot of corporate movement just as the industry changed. It's, it's finding out sort of what is the right team structure, creative approach, media approach to address all these new needs. Um, on a film-by-film -film basis, um, everything is very film specific. We can never sort of repurpose content from one film to the next. Um, but we do have um, in-house creative teams who will build all the, all the creative. We do work with some outside agencies for that. Um, but really, everything is created in-house. And one of the questions we're wrestling with right now is, how much customization should there be? One of the things that we talk about a lot is the trailer because that's sort of the last piece that's really seen as content and not advertising. People will seek out a trailer and view it as content and not press the skip button and view it as an ad. So do we sort of protect that in its full kind of in-theater two minutes, three minutes plus mode and put that online? Or do we really craft it and customize it to fit the need of every platform? But I think I mean, one- It, it yeah. seems perfectly natural to cut a different trailer for Instagram or Snap or- Well, on Instagram, we have to because first it was a one minute cap, so we did that. Now it's a two minute cap, so we do that. And I think one of the things that we've learned and coming from a sort of very precious place where marketing was seen as art and came in very specific formats. I think our whole team has learned to be a lot more adaptable and nimble because we can't expect consumers to come to us. We need to go to them and be in the right in my environment in a place that feels organic. If it doesn't feel like it's native to the environment that it's in and fits contextually, you're never going to resonate with people. Um. I think that's, uh, and what about, are you guys doing anything in VR, AR? So I think we do, I think separate from the film marketing team, the company has dipped their toes into VR. It has been more of a wait and see approach, um, just in terms of the scale that can be achieved. When we have done it, it's generally been sort of promotional things at South by Southwest, somewhere where um, I think We've been approached by a lot of really cool companies that can create amazing experiences. The challenge is just the scale of it right now. And uh, that segs into just sort of where I think would love to go next. I mean, we're wrapping up on 2019, miraculously. Um, maybe starting with you, Nick. I mean, what are your looking ahead to next year for this land of what we've been talking about, whether it's next generation breakout companies, the distribution calculus changing, the funding. I guess Jason thinks there's three to five more years of sort of peak television funding. Um, what's in your crystal ball? 
You know, I think next year is going to be interesting, and I, I mentioned uh, a little bit about this uh, with an interview with Tom Doton uh, this week, but we talk a lot about subscription fatigue in LA and New York, and like, I think the reality is, is it's actually just affordability, right? You know, there, how many subscriptions can, can like, you afford to actually pay for? And we used to consider cable to almost be a utility. You know, it would be like, I need electricity, gas, and cable. That is no longer the, the, the situation with content. There is so much great quality content out there which is available for free, and content which can super serve a niche. It can super serve a particular interest of mine. And the technology exists to actually be able to help me find that content now. So I'm really bullish on AVOD. I think I'm super interested to see what Peacock uh, you know, brings, to, brings to the table. Um, I grew up in the UK where when I was younger, there were three, then four, then five channels, but great quality programming. You know, Three of those ch pro ch programming uh, channels were funded exclusively by advertising or, or you know, predominantly by advertising. And they, it was really competitive and great quality content. I think something like that can exist in the media world, in, in the world here in the US. And I'm excited to see what that brings. I also think when it comes to SVOD, I think the operating systems or the platforms trying to solve for discoverability. Because the content, it, it, the, you know, the solution does exist, but the pig-headedness of, of all of the, the content uh, products that exist out there are getting in the way. And you know, if, if my wife calls me once more and says, what, where is this again? Where, how do I find this? It's like, because like, and, and I will say, I, I have no idea. You'll have, to, you'll have to go on Google. Like, we were watching a show the night before together. She, want, she wants to catch up on it or, or view back episodes. She doesn't know where to find it. Like, and she calls me for help, and I have no idea, and I'm, I supposedly like, work in the industry. <laughs> so that is a huge problem. Yeah. And until that's solved, I think this, this fight for subscription dollars is, is only going to get worse. But I think at some point, consumers are going to push back against that and, and just demand you know, the ability to find content really, really easily. And when that happens, I think that also unlocks the AVOD space even more. It's, it's I mean, I, I have views on whether we've reached peak subscription, but I, I mean, I always see it as um, how good the content is, right? I mean, there's no reason that there's a certain, I mean, yes, there's a disposable income budget, you know, and all of that. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think the reason we didn't see a huge onslaught in subscription news, or we're seeing it now in streaming is the there weren't the products that we're right. paying for. So And this this was when I was at Snap actually one of the things I was passionate about was trying to make the mobile phone the remote control, right? If you think about anyone in the room here who uses Sonos, like I go home, I I will select music from my mobile device, it will play beautifully around my home. Why doesn't that experience exist with the big screen when I get home? Because my mobile device knows so much more about me than the Apple TV, which I share with a bunch of other people, right? Mm -hmm. So like how do we create experiences which creates that seamless way so I can you know, watch Quibi or I can go home and like, just swipe it up and watch it on my big screen? And I think that is a big opportunity. And Charles, I think if you, if you don't start developing that tomorrow, <laughs> I'll be really upset. I'll get on it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> that actually, I, um, discover, the discover part of Instagram is insanely mm -hmm. popular. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and it just, I, I always thought of that as like the people you kind of wanted to like snoop in on but didn't want to follow. 
Mm-hmm. Is that a good way to think of it? I mean, I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's like being able to. It's called explore I'm for sorry. us. No, sorry. it's fine. Um, Disco- uh, discovers the other one. Though. Exactly. Oh, the, the more um, premium version. <laughs> yes. It, it, so we have explore. Hundreds of millions of people go there every day. Um, it's we. It's basically serving you the things that we think you'd be the most interested in. So it could be a lot of based on what you follow. So maybe what your friends follow, your interests, etc. Um, you know, mine is all dogs and like. Country Gardens, which I don't know what that says about me recently. I think I just you need to I, move to Manhattan. So. I know I change my I change who I follow all the time, so you know it tweaks. Um, but yeah, I think and you know it's a place where we're, we 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 move things around, we put different formats in there, and so do there's you have all sorts creators like lobbying to be in it? So this is the best thing. It's all algorithmic. What mm. what goes in there? So everyone see it reminds me of when like. Things tend to be all algorithmic, and then they become cur- – I mean, newsfeed was all algorithmic, uh-huh. news was all algorithmic, and now there's human. We've been wanting to get on the Explore page for a while. I know, okay. exactly. Well, I mean, but it's, it's it actually gives me a great out to not have to say <laughs> yeah. no to anybody. Um, but actually, I think the Explore page is really working because it's super addictive, and yeah. actually, like, yeah. I get in there and start scrolling, and you could actually spend hours. Yeah. Um, so I think it, we're doing a really good job of serving the right things based on your interests there. Um, yeah. So – I'm pretty happy with it right now. Cool. Um, okay, we're going to do quick we'll wrap up shortly, but I want pre- uh, predictions from Katie, and then um, we'll come to you, Charles. Okay. Oh, pred- for next year. Mm-hmm. Predictions. What, how, yeah. What's going to change in in your world? What's well? I mean, it it's interesting because due to the rise of subscription, you see a number of things happening. Um, people talk about that as being a fight for consumer attention, which it obviously is. Um, But what it also means is it gets harder and harder to reach people. Mm -hmm. So um, we can't just say, I want to go find everyone who's watching Handmaid's Tale. Um, I guess we can if we're on the ad-supported side of it or, you know, Stranger Things. We have sort of workarounds. but it's not perfect. And the workaround is like a pro- like looking at social cues or people yeah, talking you, people about talk it. Yeah, people talking about it on Twitter, people yeah. who kind of follow content that's related, but it's not and it's not that same kind of uninterrupted 30-second spot that you might have in a cable or network show where you're reaching people who are contextually relevant. So I think you see this kind of inability to reach people and fight for consumer attention because they have all these subscription services. So and, and you can't reach them both because these th- these services aren't running ads or they're running ads but they're keeping the data. They're not so. I mean unless it's if you look at Netflix, Amazon, anything yeah. that's subscription based yeah, generally is not running ads. See, I I think this whole boom boom in subscription is just fabulous for the tech companies including Instagram and everyone else but and I was thinking of it because just from a marketing standpoint I'm getting served a ton of ads um but but perhaps those actually become you know there there if there are fewer places to get any audience let alone big audience um that could be a benefit exactly so when I think about predictions you know my perspective is this next year is a fight for data um you see exhibitors learn seeing that kind of as their business is becoming a bit outdated they're becoming attuned to the fact that actually the data they have on all these moviegoers is quite valuable Mm -hmm. and they are starting to build that out as a product um so I think you're going to see at least within the film space a fight for data because 
how we, if you own consumer data, you can reach them wherever they are. You don't need to find them while they're watching Stranger Things or Handmaid's Tale. You can find them while they're reading the New York Times or while they're shopping for shoes on Bloomingdale's.com. Um, so I think it's a shift to an audience-first, data-centric consumer environment. Um, Charles, before your predictions, mm -hmm. um, how has TikTok affected Instagram? I mean, I think I think TikTok's super interesting. I actually find it really entertaining, um, and it's really fun. I think it's a really great way to express a lot of creativity. Um, I love the challenges, and I love kind of the unconnected nature of it. And I think from a creator perspective, you could make one video, and overnight, you know, you could be a high school student and have all this huge success. Um, for us, I think it's going to keep pushing us to find more and more ways for people to express themselves, to keep Instagram fun, to take the pressure off production, not making everything so perfect, mm -hmm. um, and continue building products that really resonate with teen audiences. And have you, has it affected the business per se so far? I mean, are you seeing de declining engagement in any way? Or? No major effects in that way. Mm -hmm. I think we are testing a new format. So we are testing Reels in yep. Brazil um, right now. Um, so it just launched, I would say, about a week ago. Um, and it's a similar format. So we'll see how our community is asking for it. We'll see how they react to it and go from there. Mm -hmm. I mentioned threads earlier, mm -hmm. but um, for those, it didn't seem to be a huge, um, overwhelming awareness in this crowd. But um, tell us a bit about that and why Facebook's created the product. Yeah, so I mean, threads is a messaging product that lets you message a family with your closest friends. I think, you know, um, we, you don't really talk about messaging so much on Instagram, but direct's actually huge, if you think about it. Um, you're there talking to a lot of people, right? You might be messaging someone you don't know, like your favorite creator, um, but you're probably also sharing like that latest beige cardigan meme with your friends and cracking, cracking <laughs> up over it. Um, and what we'll find with teens is they have several accounts. So you'll have your main account, you'll have your Finsta, which is maybe just the people in your school. And I learned about a Binsta recently, which is like your BFF Insta that might have five people on it. Um, so we see all these experiences where actually people, and especially teens, are communicating a lot with their closest friends. So we're really early on threads on a product that takes a lot of the behavior that you see in direct um, and lets people Why break it out, it. right, as opposed to um, adding some of these Yeah, features. I mean, listen, it, I think one of Instagram's superpowers is how simple it is. We want to keep that simple, and I think it makes sense for us to break that out as a separate app right now so it doesn't get too loaded. Too loaded. Uh, within no app. super apps. Yes. Um, okay, and we'll wrap it up because I want to get everyone to cocktails. Um, predictions oh, next yeah. year. I'll, I'll just two things. Mine are like very talent focused, but I say this every year. But I feel like increasingly, listen, digital talent and mainstream talent, they've been merging for a really long time. Um, for years, I've been saying digital talent is the mainstream talent for a whole new generation. And that new generation is getting older and older, and they have really high expectations. If they're going to watch a show, they want to have a deep relationship with the cast that's in it. I mean, with Netflix, we see, once a Netflix show goes out, we see a bump. Like, sometimes people grow, like, 800% the cast a just for, in, oh, of followership. Follow. Because oh, fans are expecting that experience when they go into a show. And now you're seeing, like, I call it, we're in the legends phase where, like, I never thought, like, Diane Keaton would be on Instagram, like, showing her closet. <laughs> it's the best account ever, by the way. Or, like, Jane Fonda getting arrested every Friday, like, <laughs> showing that on Instagram. I'm like, that is badass. And I never <laughs> thought you'd have these legends coming on and kind of, you know, engaging in a lot of the same 
uh, fan interactions as digital natives. So I think that's really interesting. We're going to continue seeing that. And then I think through this talent, we're going to see a lot less perfect production. So on IGTV right now, like, John Mayer has a talk show called Current Mood, where which he films like upright. So literally, he sits awkwardly close <laughs> to the person he's interviewing. He had little Nas X on a couple weeks ago, and they're just like this. They go live. They take questions. It's I mean, it's really badly lit. It's really very authentic. Um, it's not very scripted. And they take that, they put it on IGTV, and it can continue from there. And the fact that you have like some of the biggest celebrities in the world that are willing to be badly lit and like go in this format that's totally off script is really interesting. And I think we'll continue to see that. What as is we go the forward. next chapter for IGT? I mean, mm -hmm. what's the end goal for it? I mean, it doesn't seem like the world needs another video platform, but tell us Listen, what that is. I mean, as a whole, we want to build the best place for creators to connect with their fans and to build their business. And long form video is a big part of that. So we want it to be this like incredible destination for uh, content driven by individual talent and driven by creators. Um, and you know they're doing it really well in feed. They're doing exceptionally well in stories. And I think Instagram's IGTV is the next chapter in that because sometimes you're just going to bump up against that um, time limit on video and need a little extra time. Okay. Um, we've gone late, so I am going to wrap it up, but thank you all, and um, yeah, thank you thank guys you. very much.